Well, hello. Welcome back to the Claim the Stage podcast. I hope you are enjoying this mini series. You are in part three of Inside the Speaker Sisterhood. Are you enjoying these speeches as much as I am? Is your heart just like overwhelmed? Yeah, I know. I know. I know. That's why I did this. <laughs> Welcome to the Claim the Stage podcast. This is the place to be if you want to learn how to discover, awaken, and create your voice through the art of public speaking. I'm Angela Lucier. I am your host. I'm also an author and a speaker and the CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood. So if you're new to the Speaker Sisterhood, let me give you a quick overview of what's going on here so you can enjoy the rest of the episode. Speaker Sisterhood is a network of public speaking clubs for women. That's the very simple overview. And at this point, we have around 25 clubs and we are spreading out across America and beyond across the globe. Our goal is to have 100 clubs by the end of 2018. And after you listen to this episode, if you feel at all inspired, if you feel motivated, if you feel like, wow, I want to do something like this. I highly recommend that you check out our website. You can start your own club for women. You can join as a member. You can follow us on social media. You can keep listening to this podcast. There's so many ways to learn more about how to build confidence in your voice, to speak up, and to do things you probably never imagined doing because you'll have so much confidence, it will be hard to contain yourself. <laughs> so on today's episode, I'm welcoming... Uh, Julie Bermant and Deb Burke, who are members of one of my clubs. I run two clubs. Uh, I run one in Northampton, Mass. and Amherst, Mass. And they are both members in my Amherst club. And I'm a huge fan of both of theirs. And I love the way that they show up in these speeches. I wish that you could be there from the first day to witness their first speech to where they are now. It's just so impressive and exciting. And I'm so honored to be able to bring this series to you. Because this is really one of the first times that people outside of the speaker sisterhood are getting a glimpse into what happens in these meetings. It's just so magical. It's like a unicorn, you know, like if a unicorn was a club. <laughs> and I want to mention that what we're talking about in these meetings and in these interviews is the curriculum of the speaker sisterhood called the secret life of speaking up. And in this curriculum, there are 10 speech adventures that all take the members on these little experiences where they get a chance to learn about themselves while also building the skill of public speaking because the whole speaker sisterhood brand philosophy mission is built on the idea that public speaking is not just a skill it is a tool for self-discovery and you'll hear more about that as we interview julie and deb so i'm going to stop talking and i'm going to let you hear from them so without further ado julie bermant and deb burke the women of the speaker sisterhood enjoy Okay. So tell me your name. Julie Bermant. And how long have you been a member? A little more than six months, I think. And how old are you? I will turn 60 this year. Excellent. And how many speeches have you given? That's a good question. Um, I gave the same speech several times. <laughs> so does that count as different speeches? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably half a dozen. Uh, that's what I'm thinking. And which speech are you doing in the curriculum tonight? I am doing truth. What's the subject of your speech? Um, <clears throat> it's my motto for this year is speaking my truth with grace. So it's talking about the struggle about how to do that. 
Have you talked about this before? In a speech? Or maybe just anywhere. Um, I have been thinking about it a lot, and um, there was something that happened two months ago that really shook me, so I think I... I've been trying to process it and trying to figure out how to make sense of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's interesting. You have mentioned that in, in making speeches, people figure things out and that happened with this one. Um, I think the thinking about how I was going to present this and what, I had feelings and I had a situation that had happened and I wasn't sure how to resolve those things. And I feel clearer about how it's getting resolved now. Great. And how are you feeling right now? A couple minutes before your speech. Nervous. What does it feel like in your body? Um, I have butterflies in my stomach. I'm trying not to, um, let the self-doubt kind of talk to me. I um, I gave this speech this afternoon to someone who had never seen me give a speech before, who loved it. Um, so I'm trying to hold on to how that felt. <laughs> yeah. Because um, it felt awesome <laughs> to do it. What do you fear happening that I won't be clear, um, that I'll fumble, um, I gave a speech last night and I had thought I was going to do it a particular way and then I ended up doing it differently and I ended up being unhappy with what I had done and I didn't feel good afterwards, it didn't feel like I had put my best foot forward and I, I want to feel the way I felt this afternoon mm-hmm. I want to feel like I communicated what I'm trying to communicate and I did it clearly and I did it within the time frame and with in a way that's interesting and and connecting I want people to connect to what I'm saying what made you want to come on the podcast or say yes to this <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Because it terrifies me. (laughs) And that when things terrify me in kind of a... In a way that feels a little bit like excitement in my body, I feel like it's something I should do. Yeah. Great. And has that been an accurate... Yes, but I'm also trying not to think about it too much. (laughs) Yeah. In one word, what does it mean to you to claim the stage? In one word, what does it mean to me to claim this stage? Um, Well, it's two words, but it's showing up. Mm. Do you want to describe that? It's, um, It's being willing to show people who I really am and to show myself. Sounds good. Yeah, it feels like I should be doing that the year I turn 60, huh? <laughs> it's, not, it's not too soon. 
Well, thanks for coming on the show. I'm looking forward to your speech. Thanks. I hope it goes well. (laughs) I'm sure it will. (laughs) So there's probably three things. Eye contact, if I have any annoying habits, and does the speech work? And this is the truth speech. So this is a speech about truth. And statistics are truthful or true about half the time. But my desire this year, my goal for the year is to speak my truth with grace. And I actually thought about this goal in the middle of last year. And I thought I was doing a pretty good job of it. And then something happened two months ago that made me really question that. When I was really little, I had a pretty severe speech impediment. I couldn't say S's and TH's or CH's or J's. So I couldn't say my own name clearly, and I couldn't say my brother's name. And that meant that I was laughed at or often misunderstood. And I don't know whether it was that or my own innate shyness, but I refused to speak to strangers. And even when I was in, you know, middle elementary school, I would not order my food from a waitress. I wouldn't talk to them. I loved to eat, but I would not. I would rather not eat than have to speak to a waitress. And I remember when I was 12 and I was at the indoor mall that was across the street from where we lived. And I remember having the courage to ask the janitor what time it was and feeling so powerful after I had done that. So I was never somebody who talked a lot in class. And as a professional person, I haven't been somebody who particularly spoke up at work. I certainly had opinions, but I was the snarky person in the back talking to my friend next to me about how they were doing it wrong, but I wasn't sharing it or asking the questions that I had myself. About five years ago, uh, someone joined our my small and pretty stable work group, and she was someone who came with a lot of experience. So she was new to our group, but she was a, a, an experienced clinician. And she started asking really good questions. She didn't accept the status quo. And I loved that. It was so exciting. And so I, I really admired what she was doing. Two years later, when she left, I thought, I'm going to be that person. I want to be asking those questions. And so I started asking those questions. And really have continued to do that, to be much more open and and, um, taking risks in that work setting. About a year and a half ago, I started in a, I added another work setting that was a small work group. We were all joining together for the first time, and we were using a model called Open Dialogue. And that model includes something called polyphony, and polyphony means many voices. And clinically, it meant really making sure that everybody in the room all the voices were being heard and and being acknowledged. And as a work group, we were trying to do that as well. And I took that to heart. And I thought, this is a new group, and I am going to embrace that sense of, of, of my truth 
And so I started talking and pretty energetically and enthusiastically talking in this group. And I loved it. About two months ago, I had a conversation with the director of this program. And she told me that people in the program had said to her that I was taking up too much space. And I was saying too much. And I was devastated. I was embarrassed. I was humiliated. I was angry. And I was really sad that what I thought the dynamic was in this work group wasn't, in fact, the dynamic. What I had thought was happening where I was sometimes saying what other people couldn't or wouldn't say, um, but always wanting to be supportive of everyone, clearly that was not what was going on. And so I completely withdrew. I stopped talking at work. I was really angry at people and, and, and embarrassed. And then I had to sort of sit myself down and take a deep breath and say, I want to be involved in this work group and I want to be speaking my truth. And how do I make that happen? And so I went back to the open dialogue model, which includes something called a 10 second pause. And a 10 second pause is used to create space when there are some people who are more likely to jump in and talk and other people who may take a little bit more time. And so the clinicians don't jump in to fill the space, but give a 10 second pause. And 10 seconds can feel like a long time when you're having a conversation with people. And I want us to all feel that. So I'm going to count out 10 seconds and not speak so that we can feel what a 10 second pause feels like. It's space. It's, it's a place for people to have time to talk. And what I'm a bit embarrassed to say and what I'm sort of acknowledging for the first time as I was writing the speech was that when I did that, it worked. That some of the people who were less likely to speak were talking more when I wasn't jumping into the void. And so what I've realized is that that 10 second pause not only gives them space to, to talk, but it also gives me something. It gives me the knowledge that I have given them the space. And so after that 10 second pause is over, I can say my truth. So my new goal is to speak my truth with grace with a 10 second pause. All right, we are back with Julie Bermant, and it's about a week after she delivered her speech, and I wanted to catch up with her to see what she's thinking about it, how it you know, what's on her mind, what she's learned from it, and uh, just have some, some reflections to share with the audience. So Julie, welcome to the show. Thank you. What did you think of your speech? I was happy with it. Um, there are many times after I, well, not that I've given that many speeches, but 
I often feel like I wish I had done a better job, but I actually felt like I did, I did, um, I did the speech as well as I could expect to do it. So that felt good. Yeah. What was different about the speech? Um, I think this speech had more personal parts of me in it. Um, and I think it was a combination of sort of historical personal parts that I don't necessarily talk about. And um, it, it, it was sort of the culmination of something I'd been grappling with for a couple of months. So it was actually great to have a chance to, you know, come up with a, with a way to process it. I was trying to do that, but um, I had gotten probably three quarters of the way through that, but I had to have the speech needed to have a point. <laughs> it needed to, uh, it needed to have a resolution and that sort of pushed me to a resolution, which was, feels really good. So, um, yeah, so I feel like I was happy with the speech itself, but I was also even happier with the process that it represented. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you would do differently now, now like that a couple of days have passed? In terms of giving the speech? Yeah. Or like what I would put in it? Yeah. Content or I delivery? Don't think, I don't think so. That's great. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. So one of the things we'll I see always... when I hear it, whether I... <laughs> I know. when you hear it, like, wait a minute, that was a totally different speech. Um, right. one, of the, one of the things I always talk about in the speaker sisterhood is all about is the self-discovery piece of public speaking. Was there anything you learned about yourself as a result of giving this speech? Yeah, uh, it was as a result of creating the speech. Um, and I have to say, to be in full honesty, I was pretty resistant to that part. Like, I do a lot of self-reflection. I'm not going to learn anything new by writing a speech. <laughs> um, but that ended up not being true because, again, I wanted to, um, I wanted to, to finish what, what I was processing. And I wasn't sure how it was going to finish. Um, but I did sort of figure out what I, where I needed to go. And I got motivated to do that by having the deadline of giving the speech. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. And I think I, I also kind of knew that my voice had progressed, um, in terms of my willingness to speak, but I hadn't ever made the connections the way I made it in the speech. So why do you think that happened? Um, I guess because I was, I sort of went back to why, why am I so different now than I used to be and how did I used to be and how can I explain who I used to be? How can I explain that super shy kid who um, isn't how I present for the most part now? Um, 
I see that shyness in at times come out, but I think mostly I hide it pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was interesting to kind of revisit myself and, and I had to come up with salient examples that gave a perspective, um, you know, that sort of gave a full perspective about who I was. And, um, and so I ended up doing that and, and, and sort of putting, connecting the dots in a way that I hadn't done before. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to say this was my favorite speech of yours so far because you were so vulnerable in the speech and you also came across as a great role model for people who, have to take feedback from others and integrate it into their life because it would have been really easy for you or maybe not easy, but the go-to is to feel like your ego has hurt because the other people in the group maybe don't always want to hear from you. So it can be, it can be um, something that distances you from everybody, but instead you took the high road and you said, okay, well, how can I be more inclusive while also being heard? And you developed this tool that other people can use. And I think that it's just speak vol- speaks volumes of your maturity and your own ability to be self-reflective and also keep your team in mind and not just your own needs. And like, that is just such a great speech because it's like, it's about you, but it's also about your audience and what they could be doing differently in their own lives. And I think it just hits all the marks in such an amazing way. Huh. Well, thanks. <laughs> You're and I, didn't, I just want to, I just want to say, I didn't take the high road of, uh, like immediately. <laughs> I took the low road first. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah, maybe it does, you don't get there right away, but you did arrive there, and so that's what's important. I did get there, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I did. And I did talk about that. I did talk about feeling mad and separating mm-hmm. and you know, not wanting to, to be part of the group. And Yeah. Yeah, like I'm going to go play in my own sandbox, but you know, then you realize right. maybe, maybe we could all get along. <laughs> so is there anything you would say to women who are on the fence about doing this type of work, like going in and giving speeches and writing speeches or you know, just joining the speaker sisterhood in general? Because I think I meet a lot of women who are really excited about it, who love the idea. And then there's that fear or anxiety or questioning of, am I someone who does this? Is this something I need? What would you say to those women? Um, well, I think probably the most important thing is that it's mostly a lot of fun. Um, and last week's, um, meeting was, was a really, really good example of how much fun it was. I was laughing so hard. (laughs) I I had to leave to go to the bathroom because it was just, I was hysterical and it was so much fun you know, to be in a group and laughing with people, one doesn't necessarily get to do that very often. And probably people don't think about going to a group and learning how to speak and expecting to just be giggling uncontrollably. So, um, you know, I think you create a really, really safe space. um, And that has been amazing. And it's amazing to see the the women around me change and to, you know, sometimes it's easier to see other people's growth before one sees one's own. But um, it's, you know, if there's any 
if it's if there's any bit in that fear that people feel that has a little bit of excitement and intrigue, then I would tell them to absolutely go for it. Like that this is the place to explore and get to connect with the parts of us that want to be seen and want to be able to share our, our wisdom. Yeah, absolutely. And I totally agree with the fun part. Like this doesn't have to suck, you know, <laughs> this doesn't have to be like this grueling experience. It, it, people would rather have fun while learning. So we do try to keep that in mind. So I'm glad that you mentioned that and watching you give your, your two minute speech last week while laughing was one of the highlights of my week. <laughs> You were just laughing so hard and it was great to see. <laughs> so is there anything else you want to add about your speech, about reflections, anything you've learned? It's kind of an open floor, the last question. Um, I just, I, I've learned things that I haven't expected to learn um, while learning things that I did expect to learn. So I, I expected to or I hoped, maybe not expect is probably too strong a word, I hoped to get to a place where I could feel more comfortable and um, getting up in front of people and not have that sort of blank out, like I'm so anxious I don't know what I'm saying experience. Um, so I'm able to be more conscious and, uh, and look people in the eye at least some of the time and you know, speak in a more modulated way and all of that has come just from from practice and from really supportive feedback. Um, so that's what I expected. And what I didn't expect, as I said, is how much fun it is. And also how, how really that process of creating a meaningful speech and a meaningful story pulls on lots of our experiences. So I'll be thinking about, like, I, I don't, know how I will top that one. I feel like I may have reached my pinnacle, but <laughs> hopefully that's not true. I don't think so. Uh, but, um, you know, I'll be thinking more about how can I, I guess it's that piece of being vulnerable and how the, and, you know, certainly it's, it's, it's not a new concept, but to experience how allowing myself to be more vulnerable actually created more connection is a really powerful lesson. Yeah. I'm glad that you got that. Well, thank you so much for allowing your speech to be recorded and for being part of the, this special mini series about the members of the speaker sisterhood. It's really great to feature you and to have you share your, your reflections. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for creating this amazing organization. It's really, I feel so grateful to be a part of it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. All right. I am here with Deb Burke, who is a member of Speaker Sisterhood of Amherst, Massachusetts, and she has volunteered to be recorded for the podcast today. And before we jump into the speech, I want to ask a couple questions. So, Deb, um, how long have you been a member of Speaker Sisterhood? I've been a member for about a year now. And how many speeches have you given? Um, probably about a dozen so far, I'd say. Mm -hmm. And how old are you? I am 49 years old. I'm going to be 50 this year. 
Are you excited? I'm excited, but I still can't believe it. Like, I feel like I'm just turning 40, but. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say 14. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which speech are you doing in the curriculum? Um, right now, it's uh, truth. Okay. Um, and what's the subject of your speech? The subject of my speech is, it's more about an experience that I had with my daughter recently. And uh, amidst the Me Too campaign and listening to Oprah's recent speech from the Golden Globes, um, I think it has a lot to do with um, women demanding respect, basically, um, and, and men recognizing social cues. So I think it was kind of timely in where we are within society today. Absolutely. Have you talked about this subject before? Um, I, I know that I've talked about it, but I don't know that I've actually given a speech about it. Um, but it is something that I'm, um, very much aware of and have always been aware of my, my whole life. Um, you know, when I was a, a little kid, I didn't understand why as a girl having to join the Girl Scouts, I couldn't go learn how to build fires like the Boy Scouts were, you know, things like that. I think I've always been very much aware of the differences between men and women. So, uh, and in social, social situations too. What's your goal in giving the speech today? What do you hope could happen as a result of talking about it? I really hope that we're able to educate both men and women on um, social cues, uh, recognizing when two women are together that they're not necessarily out looking for um, men to pick them up. Um, you know, we're just really out there to enjoy each other's company sometimes. Uh, and I think that it's important that people recognize when that is the case. And how are you feeling right now, like in your body, getting ready to give the speech? Very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> what does that feel like? Uh, it's exciting, it's exhilarating, and it's also um, a bit terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any physiological effects like a knot in your stomach or sweating or oh, anything like absolutely. that? absolutely, <laughs> yes. I'm sweating and I'm usually somebody who's always very cold. And <laughs> um, so, yeah, and then I, I'm really trying to make sure that I keep my um, brain working and open <laughs> so that I don't forget things. <laughs> Why did you agree to have your speech recorded for the podcast? Uh, well, I think uh, accountability um, for myself. Uh, and I also think that in some ways it's going to be a bit empowering. Um, so, yes, the women in the club hear me. They hear my voice. But uh, I guess you get to a point where you actually have to make it larger than that so that you uh, keep moving out of your comfort zone and, and just get to a point where you're fully comfortable in your skin, regardless of who it is that's listening. Yeah. And in one word, what does it mean to you to claim the stage? Empowering. Why do you say that? It's, it really, um, it's about me feeling comfortable in my own skin and making sure that, um, or maybe realizing for myself that my words really matter. 
Awesome. I love it. All right. That's a great place to leave this interview. And now we will listen to your speech and I'll see you after the speech to uh, talk about what it was like. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks. So I'm sure by now you all heard of Oprah's speech at the Globes, right? How exhilarating and exciting that was, right? Time's up. Um, And when I heard that, I had actually just turned on the television And that's the first thing that I saw. It was so exciting and and incredible. And I felt like I was witnessing history there. And then I started thinking about a recent situation um, that my daughter and I uh, incurred at a local restaurant. Um, Right now, I think we are experiencing social change right before our eyes, right here, right now. And I think that that's amazing. So um, the recent situation that my daughter and I experienced was um, a bit annoying for us um, and concerning, and uh, I'd really like to hear um, your opinion. So my daughter and I have this phenomenal relationship. She's one of my very best friends. She's 23 years old. And I've been a bit preoccupied lately with uh, taking care of family members. And rarely does a day go by where she and I don't talk. We talk constantly. So it had been a few days uh, since she and I had had a conversation. She stops at my parents' house and says, Hey, Mom, I was thinking that you and I could maybe grab some dinner tonight. What Would you, would you like to do that? And I'm like, Oh, yes. Excellent. I get to eat and hang out with my favorite girl. So we go to a local restaurant and she suggests that we eat at the bar uh, because typically you get faster service there. So we walk into the bar, kind of scoping it out, seeing where we're we're going to sit. And we see um, it's a big rectangular typical restaurant bar. We see people sitting on one side, on the right side of uh, the bar and on the end and then some other people on the other side. So look at the other side and the left side. We see the whole end of the bar is completely open. There's two gentlemen sitting to the right side of the end and then one gentleman sitting to the left side. So we start down there, take the middle two seats so that we're completely separated and by ourselves. And we immediately start having this chatterbox conversation and we just keep in time. It's incredible, really, if you witness this. My husband says that we speak our own language. We make eye contact with the bartender. She comes over, takes our order, and we immediately start again. It's so fluid. It's so natural that you just can't deny that we are fully engaged in conversation with each other. Not really so much inviting of others, unfortunately, but um, there we are having our conversation, going back and forth, changing subject with nothing more than a breath. And all of a sudden, I realize I'm the only one talking. And I look up and I hear her say something, but it doesn't make sense. It's not fluid in our conversation. I look at her, I see her back stiffened. And she's looking at the gentleman on the side of the bar. And I immediately look at her and and I looked at him and I said, excuse me, what did you say? We didn't hear you. 
And he sits back and he says, sisters, right? My daughter rolls her eyes and says, no, this is actually my mom. It's like, wow. So we try to get back in her conversation, get back in our groove, but we're a little bit off. It's not so much in time. Next thing we hear is, wow, you girls drink alike. So now we're really annoyed and our fluidity has completely been derailed. We're no longer in conversation. We're very quiet. The gentleman finally gets up. He leaves. As soon as he leaves the restaurant, my daughter's like, oh my gosh, that guy was a creep. And here we go back again. Fluid conversation. We relax, take a deep breath. We're right back at it again. Bartender comes over and says, excuse me, but the gentleman down at the end there under the bar would like to buy you two a drink. So she also says, now he doesn't want this to be in a creepy way, of course. This is a kind gesture on his part. So I look at the waitress or the bartender and I said, please tell that gentleman, thank you very much, but we're not going to even finish the ones that we have. My daughter and I now are completely annoyed. We're frustrated. We just wanted to have a really good time together, just the two of us, without anything, anyone bothering us. Right now, we're in the midst of a social uprising, right? So right now, we're asking for respect. Women want respect. Why is it that it, I'm perceived as being ungrateful because I don't accept that quote-unquote kind gesture. I found it very intrusive, and um, I didn't appreciate it. So at this point, um, I'm just wondering, how would that make you feel? What would you have done in that situation? Thank you. All right, we are back with Deb in the post-interview. It's been almost a week since she delivered her speech, and I want to learn about her reflections and what she's learned as a result of doing this. So first off, Deb, what did you think of your speech? Uh, I think that um, I need – there are areas for improvement, absolutely – and I wasn't completely satisfied with the way I delivered it. However, um, my New Year's re- resolution is to be kind to myself and forgiving. And the the ladies um, at the Speaker Sisterhood are so incredibly supportive. They've given me great feedback on how to improve. So, so all in all, I feel okay. What would you do differently next time? Uh, I think that I would probably try to do some breathing exercises before I give <laughs> the speech. Just Did you feel out of breath or? Uh, a little bit out of breath. Um, I think my mind went a little bit blank uh, toward the end, but that was also because I had several different messages that I was struggling with and how to end the whole speech. Um, and then when it came time to end it, I think I did something completely different. So, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I think I would change the ending. 
Yeah. I think your speech is a really good example of being in process. Like we don't always have to have all the answers and every piece figured out. Sometimes just delivering the speech is an opportunity to get closer to what you're trying to say. I agree and, with that. Yeah. yeah. And and it's really important to allow yourself to show up sort of imperfect. And it's so hard to do that, right? Because you want to come off like, I got this. This is like, <laughs> I've practiced it a hundred times. I know exactly what I want to say. But to show up with it, not completely worked through, but using it as a part of the, the process, I think re- requires more courage because you're willing to show up that way and say, this isn't going to be like the best speech I've ever given, but it's something that I, I'm working on. So do you feel that way? Absolutely. Yes. And I think right after I gave the speech, I was saying to you, uh, I don't know if I want you to put this on your podcast, but um, I do think that is it is important that you, you use it because it wasn't perfect and I do have areas to improve. And perhaps somebody listening may think, well, that was okay, um, but I know where I want to go with it. And I think that it, it is important for other members and other future members to understand that it really is okay to, to have your voice heard and have it not be perfect all the time. Yeah. Did you feel a sense of relief doing that? I do. And I feel actually even more of a sense of relief um, or empowerment just saying, yeah, you know what, go ahead put it on there and let's, (laughs) I'll work on it later. It's so amazing to see you today because I met you a year ago and I've been seeing you give speeches. And I remember how nervous you were when you first got up there. And now you're just, it's not, (laughs) you're like a totally different person. You're so carefree, you know, and I know you still get nervous, but it's like a different kind of nervousness. You're confident and you still recognize that there's a little bit of risk in it and it's still kind of scary, but you're more like, let's just do this. Exactly. (laughs) It's so cool. And that's honestly, that's where I wanted to be. That was one of my biggest points of, of staying with the speaker sisterhood is because this is where I wanted to be. I'm not at my ideal place yet, but I'm getting there. So it's been a, a great experience. What would you say to anyone who's sort of on the fence about joining Speaker Sisterhood or just this whole journey and experience that you've gone through? What would you say to them if they were thinking about joining but just weren't sure? There are, I think we have a variety of of women who have different reasons for joining. So even though the focus is kind of on public speaking. It's really just a matter of feeling comfortable in your own skin in any setting. Um, it could be uh, being an advocate for somebody. It, it can mean speaking up in meetings at work so that you um, can better articulate your your uh, point of view. Um, it, it's all about just really getting comfortable in your own skin. Um, I know I keep saying that same term over and over again, but I think it's just a really important point point for for people. Absolutely. Because I think so many of us, especially in social situations, whether it's going to a networking event or standing in front of a group and sharing, can be so distressing and so anxiety provoking. So to hear you say, actually, you could feel comfortable in those situations. <laughs> That's a big deal. It is a big deal, right? And it, the women who are in these groups are so supportive and, and really help you to get to that place. 
Is there anything else you want to add about your speech, about your journey in the speaker sisterhood or your goals this year and that you just like to share with the world? <laughs> well, I think with, with my speech in particular, um, with the Me Too campaign that's going on right now, I think that it's a pretty exciting time for us. We are experiencing firsthand social change. And, you know, how incredible is that? And although my, my speech is not about sexual abuse or any, anything like that, it's, it's very much about everyday occurrences that people experience, that women experience. And I think that there needs to have this, this conversation needs to continue um, so that our everyday lives are not, uh, we're not feeling that people are being intrusive uh, and we're being respected. Mm -hmm. I love it. Well, thanks so much for agreeing to be recorded and showing us your vulnerability and being part of this movement and inspiring other women to get involved as well. You're definitely a role model and a leader, and it's a pleasure to know you and be the leader of your group. <laughs> Thank you very much, Angela. This is great. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks. there you have it, Julie and Deb. How amazing are they? I know, right? It's just so great. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed those speeches. I hope you're enjoying this whole mini series. There is more to come. We have two more weeks of this fun. Next week, I invite Adrian Roth and Lenore Braun to share their speeches. I'm not going to lie. I shed a tear during both of those speeches while I was at the club recording them. I'm just so honored. Again, like it's just so exciting. So you're going to hear from them and you'll get to just be inspired all over again. So tune in next week for more. And if you like what you're hearing and you want to get involved, check out speakersisterhood.com and you'll get more information on joining or starting your own club. So become part of the movement and join us. It's just so fun. Why would you not? <laughs> so that does it for me, you guys. What do I always say? You know it. Stop waiting. Start creating. I'll see you next time. <laughs>